What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Of the Knicks Film School podcast, of course, recording live from the Vivid Seats studio. Um, as we remind you every week, use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases for first-time customers only. And as I am preparing to introduce the person that I am sharing the podcast with tonight, I have to think for a second... Do I call him a guest, or do I not call him a guest? I don't. JB, what? A- that's that's the beauty of it because I think I remember always doing the pods, and it was always this awkward thing of like, oh, here's the guest of Nick's Film School podcast, the guy who runs Nick's Film School. Is how you put it, and it's like, no, I've always just wanted to be a guest, and that's now why I'm officially a guest because I'm no longer running Nick's Film School as we we used to know it. Um, I was thinking to myself earlier today, uh, well, you, you grew up in Connecticut, so obviously you got, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog there. I, I, we, you know, it's funny enough, I don't think we've ever talked about Mike and the Mad Dog between the two of us. Were you a big Mike and the Mad Dog fan, or no? Yes, yes. I was that perfect time in growing up, because I always say this to people, that Mike and the Mad Dog, and it's funny now, because if you know, especially with Mike Francesa now, He's such a caricature, it's hard to think of him in these terms. But, like, it used to be, to me, sports talk radio was Twitter before Twitter. <laughs> that was the place where all of us crazy fans could come together. And it was that perfect medium because it was the place where you would sometimes, for instance, have a story come out in the New York Post well, that, you you know, that, that was a certain headline or a certain slant, and Mike and the Mad Dog would have the writer on and, and argue with them about it or they would argue you know with the general manager or a player they were exactly that's what sports talk radio was right they were that medium in between they didn't represent the fans they weren't traditional media they were sports talk and i think twitter in many ways is what replaced that and and a lot of times when i think about you know kind of our model I, I i feel like that's in a weird way, kind of where it comes from, but just obviously a different format. Well, it, it's funny. It's, I'll get to why I brought it up in a second, but while, while we're on the topic, I I think, yes, Mike, Mike Francesa has become a caricature of himself in part because he's just gotten older and I think he's got a couple of uh, 
I don't know what's the point. Well, how can you? I can't talk bad about someone who was such a, played such a pivotal role in my upbringing. He's he's lost a little bit off his fastball. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> I I think that that's part of it. But also, it's funny you say that be, because of Twitter, and because I think even more generally, just the age we live in with social media, and because it's so much easier for fans to be. Um, well-informed, it's now thus so much tougher for a sports talk radio show host who's supposed to be an expert equally at all of these different types of sports to actually be as on point as they need to be and to avoid what inevitably happens with Mike Francesa and with any major, like major national or, or local like personality, it's like they're going to slip up. And their slip-ups are going to become like bigger and more obvious, and it's it's just you know the medium is not is not you know what it once was. But it's funny when you started talking about Mike, um, I like for me the best way that I could compare it is like Mike and the Mad Dog then were almost like what Zach Lowe is for me now, which is that I. Like I would formulate an opinion on something, but I I I needed validation for my opinion. And like Zach Lowe, is, right. yeah, he's the person I go to for that now at the NBA, which I know a lot of people don't necessarily agree with that and and think he's whatever. I still think he's he's the be all end all, despite what he said about the Knicks a few weeks ago. And that's what Mike and the Mad Dog used to be, um, for me at least. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm with you. And even thinking this time of year with baseball playoffs, it's just like I think of the afternoons, like getting home from school and just putting, you know, it sounds weird even now, like getting home from school and putting on like the radio like that. But, you know, you didn't have cell phones the way you do now and you didn't have, like you had the paper that you, you read the articles in the morning and then if you wanted current news that was the only way you got it or you just had to wait well, until if, the next day if you wanted crazy. content if you yeah, wanted right. content exactly. of any kind in the middle of the day right yeah. exactly which is so funny because you know our more recent model was built a lot on we we're going to have instantly something happens like literally you know Mark Berman comes out with a with a story and th- there's times like we're posting the story before he does <laughs> on Twitter and now it's like to think back to then where you had to wait till the morning when you know your your newspaper delivery guy like threw the paper on your step it's like yeah it, it's a different world but I guess the other point you're saying about how you know they have to follow all the different sports funny enough it, it's sort of relates a little bit to me in thinking about how my world has been the last couple of years doing Nick's film school in terms of where it has brought me and why, you know, in, in some ways I wanted to step away like I am is because exactly like you say, if you want to be in an area where people are going to look to you for, you know, thoughts on something, and I by no means look at myself as like a basketball expert, but it got to a point where when it came to the Knicks, a lot of people would want to get, you know, my take on things because I knew I would be watching the game a couple times in a film. I would just be spending more time, more than I think it was that I was smarter than anyone else. I just would invest that time. And when you're investing that time, you can't, obviously, it's an opportunity cost. You can't 
you can't invest time in other things. And that was exactly, I guess, the rub of it always for me, where it's like, okay, well, you know, yeah, I'm really interested in the Knicks, but I'm interested in, you know, other sports, or I'm interested in things that have nothing to do with sports. And you're trying to, like, find that time, but you also want to put in the work to be really good at what you do with this thing. And, you know, I, I never understand, like, how the people who are able to talk about multiple subjects on that high, high level how they managed and balanced that time because it's just so hard to do. Well, I, I, it's, that's interesting. Cause you, you were all about one team. You also had and have a full-time job and a family that, um, you take very great, I, I actually no. It's that's the wrong. I was gonna say you take uh, a great deal of pride in spending a lot of time with, but I, I don't think spending time with your family is a point of pride for you. I think it's actually a point of enjoyment for you. Um, well, my wife would say it was a, a luxury item for them uh, while I was doing this for a while. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you want to put it. But you you had other interests, whereas you know sports talk people who. Like yes, it is their full time job, but just to like to go from being able to converse um, respectably and uh, informatively about whether it's either thirty teams if you're for one sport or like you know think of a person like Colin Coward or Stephen A. Smith, where you know what what sports do they not talk about like I, I i don't know if there's anyone out there who is like equally knowledgeable about all four major pro sports plus like golf and tennis and i maybe there's a few people that i'm not thinking of but it like I, you're right like to me if i was doing that for a living i every minute that i wasn't spending consuming some piece of information about sports i would feel like i was doing a disservice to my livelihood and to my uh i i don't know myself because you i i'm like you i'm the way i'm built is if i'm going to do something i'm going to try to be the absolute best that i could possibly humanly be at the thing that i'm doing it doesn't matter what it is uh right right you know but i guess that's how you end up with a situation like you know you i you know you, you read articles about like ceos of fortune 500 companies and they're all apparently like very, not very happy people and they, their family never sees them. And it's like, you know, there's a trade off there. Um, it's, it's, we've gotten so far afoul of why I brought up Mike of the Meadow. This is hysterical, but I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to say this very quickly just so people don't lose the point. So I was thinking about this yesterday or the day before, uh, because, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in law school, and I, I think I was a 3L. I might have been a 2L. I forget. But I remember the apartment I was in, and I lived in, the, in that apartment for 2L and 3L year. And I got a text from my buddy. Uh, it simply said, uh, the end of an era. Uh, and I was like, I sent him, you know, I was like, question mark. And he said, Mike and the Mad Dog are broken up. And it was the day that uh, they, that Mike announced that the show was ending. As it as it had been known, and then I turned on the radio just in time to hear Dog call in, and it was I don't know if you remember it. He was like kind of crying, and it was yep, no, yeah. I remember yep. And I was thinking, I'm like, 
there's a there's a I get that feeling now, and which is crazy because they were together for what eighteen or nineteen years, and we've been doing this together for a little over a year, I guess. But and even though the circumstances are obviously about as different as they can be from when that occurred, I was thinking to myself, man, this is, you know, it's sad. Um, yeah, the the so you want me to be like dog here? Um, you're gonna make me cry in the, No, <laughs> I, I I wish I had that um, ability, no, JB. Yeah, no, it's it's um, you know, I think putting out the. You know, I had talked to you about obviously this summer, right? Like I, I basically took the summer off from, took a break from social media completely. And then I was deciding, you know, what I wanted to do. And I think the thought that kept coming to me was, was more on the people side, right? Like we're just lucky that in doing this, I mean, we have like Alex, um, you know, on our site from sure. Ireland. Yeah. Where it's like here is a guy like, you know, I ended up having pizza with him in Brooklyn. And I'm just thinking when he, when he came to visit last, uh, was that last spring? And I'm just thinking just this concept that here was some kid who was a Knicks fan in Ireland. And I'm a kid who was a Knicks fan in Connecticut. And somehow now we're just friends in life because of, you know, this site basically and, and this fandom for the team. And then obviously, you know, with me and you, it's just like we we just clicked from, you know, from the start. And you hear all the, the, the cliches. And I guess we could argue that Mike and the Mad Dog were the opposite of this. <laughs> we don't even have to argue. I think that was true. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but you hear the cliches about, you know, you work better with, with people that you get along with, blah, blah, blah. But, like, with us, it was just like, I think that was the unique nature always, was that we were just friends right like that's what we developed so we were developing a friendship and in developing a friendship we were building something together and i think that's why you know it makes it a little tougher to you know separate out here because you feel like they almost go hand in hand right so you're trying to say you know i think that's what i said to you when we when i called to say okay i definitely am not going to be doing this anymore i was like well just remember like this doesn't mean we can't call each other to talk about other things, right? You're just like breaking up with someone without breaking up. Like it's a weird thing. I still have to get you uh, a date when we're gonna when we're gonna come up to uh, to the new house to visit. Uh, you just reminded me. Um, no, I, I you're you hit the nail on the head, and um, I you know it's things like this don't don't come along very often because usually you know it's usually when you have a friendship it's a friendship that's just a friendship or usually when you have a working relationship it's a working relationship where that someone is someone else's superior uh or it's like no matter how close you are usually one person at the end of the day will have the the ability whether they use it or not to like fire the other person or you know give the other person a raise or not give them a raise whatever the case was this was kind of this weird unique thing where this is it's i mean really this has been like a glorified hobby for us but at the same time it it we our personalities are such that we treated 
it as if it was a full-time job. And if we're being honest, I think both of us have probably put in more hours into this over the last year plus than we've put into our full-time jobs, uh, or at least I have. Uh, (laughs) Which is only going to go up. I hope nobody from the DOE is listening to this. Uh, In any case... (laughs) Uh, so uh, yeah, who's watching your children in Brooklyn now? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, yeah. If any, if any parents of my students are, well, you know what? I I have to say for the, I'm in a classroom with kids for approximately three hours and forty five minutes a day. For those three hours and forty five minutes a day, I am, I am engaged. For the other twenty hours and fifteen minutes a day, uh, I am usually paying attention to other things. Um, no, I'll give my I'll give my wife and daughter. They get like forty five minutes. You know. I was gonna say that's good. So I should just cut you off now before you get yourself in any more trouble. That'll be my last uh, thing. To do. That'll be your last executive action. Um, no, I think you. I think you said a pretty. I, I just. I think it's really the only other thing which I was thinking today, and I think it's relevant to the point you brought up about kind of why you felt like you essentially needed to to take a step away is what if you know what if in a in a different world all you had ever continued doing was the videos and it never became a website it never became where you were kind of like the pinnacle social media aggregator for a team in a season that probably had more news flying like you have to think about it's not that you just became like what you became as far as like always getting the the first being the first person to get something out it was during the season where it was like a river full of tea leaves about Durant about Kyrie about like about all this different stuff so it was the nature of the of I don't even call it news it was the nature of the conversation that was happening that made it such that uh, you kind of attained this level of like, oh my God, I'm in a, I don't even know what it must have felt like where you're, you're in this yeah, thing well, where you can't I get think, out of. I think that's the thing is when you say, well, what if you had kept doing videos? If the Knicks were good, that's what it, I would have kept doing. Like, I think the point is for, for probably a lot of people, they probably wished, you know, in the end there was maybe more videos like the beginning. Um, but the way I looked at it was, you know, and, and again, this, I guess, I think speaks to why I wanted to stop doing this and do something different. My personality has always been, I'm going to pick something that intrigues me and makes sense at the time and then just go all in on that thing and try to master it. And then when I do, and I feel like it's not as much of a challenge, I'll go and do the next thing. And then with the videos, which by the way, you said this to me a year ago, you, you told me you were going to do this essentially. I don't know if you remember, we were in your house last summer when we came to visit and stayed over. You said that verbatim to me. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, he's going to, he's just going to walk away one day. And of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, with the videos, it was just, that's what makes sense. But then obviously, like you said, with this unique season where, it became clear, like, the team was terrible. How many videos are we really going to do about a team that just lost by 20 points that's going to be the worst team in the NBA? You just can't – that, that's just not the type of content that made sense. But meanwhile, there was this drum beat rhythm in the background 
of rumors and, and everything there. So I said, okay, well, it just seems like it makes sense, like, to have one spot where you can get all that. So that's why, um, you know, I made the shift to that. But, I mean, the funny part, I always tell people that have met me later in life, it, because they can never believe this is true. So when I was in high school, um, you know, the school that I went to, it, it was in the 90s. It was, the, you know, the height of the hip-hop era. And in my opinion, it's like my dad grew up a hippie in the 60s. And for me, it was like for hip-hop, the 90s uh, was that time, you know, where you're growing up with like Nas and Tupac and Biggie and just, you know, that was the time. And I actually became well-known in my high school, believe it or not, for rapping. But nowadays, people are like, how? No. JB? Like, what? This is... No. I'm not sure I believe that, but you wouldn't lie, so I have to. Right. But it was literally like, I was, that was what people who only know me from high school, if they see me, they only know that memory of me. Like, you were the one white kid who somehow was, like, very popular for knowing how to do that. And then... It just was something I did because at that time I was interested in it. And I said, I bet you I could figure out how to do this. And I just figured it out and did it. But then I just completely stopped doing it. Never have done it since. And that was just a whole nother part of life. And I think that's, you know, it's just, I guess, kind of the theme uh, <laughs> with me. Where now with the Knicks, it'll be interesting looking back when they're actually good. And I feel like at that point I'm going to say, and hopefully that's not, you know, 10 more years from now, but I'm going to be like, man, like, remember, like, if we were, if I was still doing, you know, Nick's film school now, you know, that would be fun. I think that's the point where maybe I would, I would miss it. But like I said, normally the way it goes, I'd rather just do something for a while, feel like I did good enough with it, and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, I, it, um, hmm. It, it's interesting because different, Different people have different things that uh, they get fulfilled by, I guess. And for you, it's like you get fulfilled by the new, the next challenge. Uh, whereas, you know, I think a lot of people, I, I think that's rare. Um, I think most people, like for me, you know, personally speaking, my life has been, you know, however many years worth of just trying to find the thing that I want to continue doing every day. Uh, and that I don't get bored of, and then, you know, try to make a living doing that thing. And, uh, you know, it's that's and, and that really is the difference between the two of us uh, because we're very similar yeah, in a lot of ways. Way, um, Emily is happy that I don't take this philosophy with relationships, by the way, because she's always like, <laughs> I don't understand, like, you don't seem like you should be the guy that's with, because we've been together, this will actually be our 15th year since we first met, and we're not that old, so, like, yeah. yeah, that's like high school sweetheart territory. So, um, that's but, it's yeah, so I funny. Like, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is we're similar that we're loyal in relationships, but I guess we're a little different in terms of like you're saying commitment well, to one thing versus. Uh, hold on, you you may want to watch what you say there because if I've been, it's the way that you are with interests and and hobbies or whatever has been the way that I am with relationships my entire life until I met Dolores. It was always a challenge of like making the person that I was with, uh, like f talk about getting off the rails, uh, making the person that I was with like fall for me. And then once I did that, I got bored and moved on. So in a weird way, how I am with relationships up until when I met my wife uh, is how you are with everything else in your life. Isn't that interesting? 
Yeah, no, that's, uh, I guess so. But yes, I guess we've gone off the rails and if people actually want to listen, uh, you know, <laughs> and hear about a fastball team, the Knicks, there was, I guess, a couple of things I wanted to say though related to, um, you know, leaving, but also related to the team or the themes about how the team is covered that I've been thinking about. Um, I love I love when I, you talk I, about this. By the way, it's it's the most interesting topic to me is when you is when you think deeply about how the team is covered. So yeah, give me <laughs> what are your thoughts on this right now? Well, no, I think what what happened was so you know I took the break over the summer from social media in general, and I got really talk about getting into different things. And the big thing I was spending a lot of time like reading about and thinking about is just this whole concept of this world we live in of social media and distraction and you know I'm trying to remember who said this but I'm not remembering so I won't be able to give him credit but it's a concept that we are living constantly distracted and to me it kind of followed the theme of obviously with us this past season with the Knicks and it was like you didn't want to put your phone down because you didn't want to miss like some update about what was going to happen with free agency and I think NBA fans in general kind of live like that and then obviously all of us in society live that way and it's just to the beginning of our conversation like are we relatively better off knowing instantly about a rumor than or about a new even a real news item than we were before when you found out kind of the next day and then you get into like you know, how these apps are kind of wired to keep us opening them and clicking them all the time. And I got a little bit concerned that the way, even for our site and the way that my account was, it was contributing more to the negative side to that, right? So saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to be the first one to post all this news. I'm even going to create an account where people, I told people like, just follow this account, turn on notifications, and I'll give you all the all the latest news. And it sounds like all good functioning things, but at the same time, it sort of contributes to that, you know, like I said, that concept of that dopamine hit, hit that people are, yeah. are getting from your, right, your polling, getting it, uh, trying to get that, that new information. But then long-winded uh, thought here, just connecting the, the two to the team being covered, I think then the other side of that, or the additional point to that is sort of the the way the conversation then goes and i think we're seeing this even on the political climate now is you know we disagree with uh someone or we disagree with the way something is covered and there's a, a system in place where if you are a you know a quote social media influencer which in some strange <laughs> way that we, we grew into yeah you can you know, you know you can really use those mechanics to your advantage. So you could say, okay, you know, Stefan Bondi writes a story that I don't agree with. If I can quote tweet him with something kind of clever, then you know I'm just the position that I had built the account to be in. It would make it extremely hard for him in that social media environment to. Um, you know, to come across on top, right? Like it, it was just kind of easy because all the people following me are now going to jump in and now they're all going to get on them. And it's kind of like this negative thing that you're saying, right or wrong, whether you agree with what, like, what the story that I'm commenting was about. Again, is it, 
is it a positive thing that you're you're doing there you could argue yes you're trying to hold people accountable and that's what i would always kind of justify it with but well um, like it's a long-winded thing but it's just those i think those two points of the point of constantly being distracted and feeding into kind of these algorithms of the app that make you distracted and then the negativity of the conversation i think i think that was the part where if i decided to keep doing it and maybe i'm saying this a little bit as my my farewell uh quote wisdom is um i think these are the things that accounts like ours need to think about in terms of like how we you know how we do it forward where we realize yeah these are good ways to pick up followers pick up engagement but also how are we being you know responsible to the to the way we do it so the the dopamine hit thing i think is just a simple matter of technology has brought us to a point in society where you can avoid downtime uh, whenever you want, and that is that is the avoidance of downtime is is quite literally at your fingertips, and it's just a matter of what do you want to avoid that downtime with. Uh, so, if you're a sports fan, uh, and in particular you're a sports fan of a, a team that uh, is building up to a summer in which it could, you know, literally change the landscape of the league then, yeah, you're going to want to look at, like, you're going to want to spend those moments of downtime, whether it be on the train or, you know, walking to the bathroom or whatever the hell you're doing, uh, looking for that. So it was like the perfect storm. Um, It's, I, I, I don't, I don't know that if I even tried to, to, to recreate such an environment this year, I, I don't even know that I could because of the nature of how the thing has, has changed. Um, so, and I think just people will look elsewhere for their, I need a distraction for the next five to 10 seconds. What is it going to be? You, you get what right, I'm saying? Right. The, 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 yep. the second thing you bring up is I think a more interesting issue because it's funny that you, like it was so easy for you and it's so easy for me and so easy for anybody who has this platform to know like yeah i know that if if i come across some like even honestly i did it uh it was a couple nights ago where kurt uh it was kurt helen um put out a piece for nbc something or other which it was kind of it it had a disingenuous headline which basically inferred that like um, they were the team was trying to sell the fans like a bag of goods uh, at at media day, and the article wasn't bad. The headline was atrocious, and I quote tweeted it with with something that that brought that to light. And I th- I thought for a second before I did that because I'm like, is this is this helping like further the conversation? Because on one hand, I felt like you just said like. There needs to be someone to step in and defend the team when, on one of the rare instances where it actually is warranted that the Knicks need to be defended, because a lot of the times, you know, criticism is warranted. This was one of those times where they it was it was deserving that they were they should have been defended. But at the same time, it's like the second I hit you know retweet on that, 
I know that I'm going to get, you know, a bunch of people liking it or whatever. Um, does that does that alter like should that alter my approach as someone who has the platform that I have? And I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Right. Well, I think that's the difficult part is that I think, you know, people are realizing, uh, you know, that we're living. I mean, let's face it, like it's a technological social media. I wouldn't even say technological. It's like a social media evolution, um, a revolution similar to like the industrial revolution, right? Like you're seeing this rapid growth over a short period of time where we can't keep up even as people with how quickly, you know, like, let's face it, like, you know, there's still people making jokes, like older people usually that are making jokes, like what is a tweet or, you know, I don't even know what it is. But meanwhile, there's been like seven other social media apps that have come out that, you know, Twitter's like one of the older ones, right? Like, you yeah. know, now people are on TikTok and it's like, let's just make a five second video about how I put shaving cream in my shoe and step in it. And somehow like that will get 200,000 views. And I don't know how, but that's a, it does. That's a thing that happens now? Yeah. Well, yeah. If you ever just go on TikTok and look at the stuff that's on there, like this is the stuff, you know, having two daughters I'm jb like, if if tiktok walked in my front door right now and sat down at <laughs> my kitchen table i wouldn't know what the hell it was it is literally to me like the extreme of these examples they're talking about with social media and i guess i'm just i think the point is we're recognizing these things aren't always positive or a lot of times are pretty negative to us but the question is you know, so what do we do? And the, the answer we don't really have. So like the easy answer is to say, well, you know, back to the point of the way the team is covered to say, what, why even get into this tip for tap, you know, with, with everyone, just don't create that. Just, you know, let those just don't read, you know, it's just like I've heard, you know, um, people say about the Knicks, they're like, if the team it's been so bad. Why do you keep showing up? Like, don't reward James Dolan. Don't go to the games, and then maybe he'll have to change his way. So it's the same thing. Just don't read the New York Daily News if you don't like it, and and just leave it at that. But that said, it just seems like well, I don't think the answer is to have no conversation in public about these things. But, it's just you know it, how do you approach it? Yeah, but so so right there, you hit the nail on the head. By by me or you or whoever quote tweeting someone that is being disingenuous on the on one side of things, that doesn't that doesn't advance the conversation. And I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. And I think it's interesting. I think this all ties together because you mentioned how Twitter is one of the older apps, and some of the other older apps like well what's the other oldest like social media app facebook right facebook is something that if you are under the age of 30 you go on purely to you know occasionally look at uh photos of your you know aunts uh, or, or of your niece or something that lives in like two towns over right like you don't use that app yet for some reason twitter has remained a relevant social media tool um for people of all ages and I think the reason for that is because it's so perfectly matches up with where 
the our culture is right now in terms of and I you know I wrote about this a little bit uh, I think it was earlier this week when I talked about the the Zach Lowe thing like we don't have conversations anymore like as I my when I'm on Twitter I try to further the conversation forward you know and I used to do this a lot more when I would like people would come at me with like just crazy outlandish stuff and I used to respond to them because I'm like I want to see if I could talk this person off the ledge and most of the time I couldn't but at the same time it's like it felt good to engage those people in conversation now I don't have the time to do that anymore so but like that's the thing about what goes on now is like nobody once you recognize that someone is on the opposite side of the spectrum. Like, there's no more middle ground anymore, and there's no effort to try to pull the person that's on the other side into that middle ground. Um, so, which is why, you know, bringing it back to the Knicks, there's no... It's like there's the side of people who think that uh, the team is a joke and they're always going to be a joke and uh, everything that they do is a joke and, and let me look for different ways to lampoon them. And then there's... The people that largely have have built Nick's Film School up to what it is, which is like, no, there's good stuff going on here, and if you are unwilling to recognize that, then you're a closed-minded idiot, and you have a media bias, and this and that. And in truth, the the answer is probably somewhere in between, but we're not – no one is getting to that middle ground. It's not happening. And I just – I don't see – Well, I think this this year's media day to me – and watching it you know from afar versus uh how, how it's been the last couple of years it's like was a pretty good example because i think by stepping back and not being like on the front lines of you know nick's twitter world um i want to say it gave me a different perspective to look at it and i feel like what you're saying with the middle ground is like i could kind of see it this year where i could i was saying to myself all right you know what like it is true. Like you can't be the New York Knicks, the team that is, you know, supposed to be in an ideal world, you know, a sort of like original pillar franchise in the NBA in a big market that, you know, is going to, uh, is building a culture that's going to attract players to want to play here and be, you know, more, uh, you want to build a franchise that, is modeled after not made fun of and you come out you go you know you basically have an off season where you don't get any of the top players that you openly wanted to get you don't then talk to the media at all about it so you just decide we're just not going to give any comments about it and then you come out on media day and you sort of you know you sort of make it seem like well you know we 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 kind of had a plan and, and it wasn't exactly the, the top plan, but we executed on it. I guess what I'm saying is it's just like you, you got to have, it's almost like you're creating your own problem for yourself. It's not to say they aren't doing good things by building through the draft, not overpaying for the wrong players and all the things that we want them to get credit for from certain publications that would maybe gloss over those points. But at the same time, you can't make it so difficult on yourself from a PR standpoint where a 12-year-old can figure out that it just isn't <laughs> good PR to just hide 
in the woods all summer when you're playing in New York City at Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. over the fact that you had this major free agency period where it didn't go right. Like, so, show, be humble, show it, talk to the media, don't hide behind things. And then all that stuff goes away. And I think that's the part for me that's frustrating. And that's kind of, I guess, where I would call sort of that middle ground that's hard to reach in Twitter because you can't fit it all in a tweet. No, but you just... trying to say they're doing good things, but they're also not. You just reached it. Like, if, if, if the position is, you know, the Knicks should have come out on, and I, I, you know, I, I intimated this in my col- my post media day column, but I guess maybe I didn't go this this far. But if the Knicks had come out on media day and they had said, "Look, um, it's no secret that we had some very grand plans uh, heading into this summer," and um, to say nothing of the players that we got, who we truly do believe are going to be the cornerstones of what begin to turn this franchise around, um, it. it to, to, for us to sit sit up here and say that we didn't have some other ideas would be disingenuous. And the fact that it did not work out that way, while there are maybe some other circumstances that uh, contributed to that, the fact of the matter is it's a reminder that as the New York Knicks, um, the first person that we always need to be looking for or looking at uh, to, you know, really examine as far as the, the the people who can make this organization better is the people we see in the mirror. And we spent some time doing that this summer, and we're hoping that through that process, uh, we will now grow to be a better organization moving forward. If they had come out and said some version of that, by the way, they should really pay me to write their shit. Um, if they had some yeah. come out and, and said some version of that, all of the NBA media people in the world would have been like, you know what? Good job, New York Knicks. You finally took a step forward and were accountable. And all the New York Knicks fans out there who believe in the team would have been like, you know what? I respect that. They actually came out and were honest. So that's the middle that is the middle ground. But again, it's like to get there is it's just it's tough in this environment. And maybe that. Well, may- and also, you don't have to talk about it at Media Day as much if you just come out, you know, during Summer League or you come out another time and just own it then. And you know what? You can even have still a little attitude about it, right? Like if you're Steve Mills, you go out in a Summer League, uh, after a Summer League game, it's July 8th, you just missed on um, all the top guys, and you're going to have all the usual suspects you know, Berman and Bondi sitting there peppering your question. And you can just snap back at that point and say, look, guys, what do you want me to tell you? We didn't get the top guys. Am I supposed to just sit here and say, so we're going to fold as an organization? No, we didn't get them. So therefore, this is what all we can do is control what's next. And we did what we think the next best thing. But you're absolutely right. We didn't hit that plan, but we're not going to sit here and, and cry about it. And I think if you just did that then, then it's done. It's over. And then when media day comes, you can then have all of the the dumb questions that no one cares about, about, you know, who's the dogs on the team and, you know, rah, rah, we're going to be so great. That's what media day is about for every team. But when you go in silence all summer, then you have to bring up these kind of old, you know, these these old points. Well, it, it, that, 
could lead us to, you know, we we could be here all night talking about this, but it's it, it, are we, you know, there was a real effort, and we kind of, you know, me and you probably have some more inside information on this uh, than most, but without getting too much into that, there was a real genuine effort on behalf of the organization um, over the last year, year and a half to be more open um, and be more transparent. And I I wonder if we are on the verge of a regression um, towards, you know, back how things used to be, um, which wouldn't shock me given how, like, you know, again, I'm all... <laughs> Always trying to think about what what is, what is James Dolan thinking, right? What is what is JD when he's not up there uh, with the microphone in his hand? Does he play an instrument or he, does he just sing? I don't even know. I've never like listened yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think he sings and maybe just what. Um, does he have like a know, tambourine? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think he. Or, no, doesn't he play the the kazoos, right? Like. Oh yes, that's right. The kazoos. That's the joke. Yes, of course. <laughs> so whatever. Um, I'm a, when he doesn't have a kazoo in his hand, I'm wondering what he's what he's thinking. And I, you know, I wonder if he's like, you know, what I tried, I, I okayed a media policy of being more open and transparent in the last year, um, and look where it got me. It got me shat on by every media outlet known to man this summer. So you know what? Screw you. Well, I do think a little bit with the timeline. It was the two years ago. I think they were starting to make some progress. Like even the social media, the main Nick social media account, they were having more fun. And then I think this year it sort of you could see it started to turn as we got closer to as we got into like Przingis being traded yeah. and then leading up to free agency. I think then you know it started to to turn the the other way. But I guess um, you know to me it just still comes down to it's there are hard things to do. It is hard to convince some random human being to make a decision that a lot of times has nothing to do with a lot of the things you think, like, you know, we're all talking about this culture and how you define that. And like, you know, what city you're in versus this. And it's like the decisions that come together. I mean, Durant's saying he's watching, he's really watching YouTube videos of Kenny Atkinson's post game shows. Like there's just, you don't know what he's seeing and what's going on in his head when he's watching that, that, you know, is impressing him or, or making him um, make a decision. So when you can't control another human being's decision totally, you can obviously try to influence it. But when you can't control it, the things you can control, I think that's what's frustrating. Like, why not? Well, it why go- not take care of those things? It goes back to it goes back oddly enough, interestingly enough, to the beginning of our conversation tonight, right? Which is like. The world we live in is is not does not resemble anything like, you know, the world that existed uh, ten or fifteen or, or or twenty years ago, in that there is there's no hiding anymore. So, like I mentioned, um, you know, again to reference something I wrote earlier in the week, it's like we used to hear the narrative that like okay. All, you know, James Dolan is a is terrible is a terrible owner because he butts in and he hires the wrong people, you know. And all indications are now that he's hired people that are you know Scott Perry's at the at the very the worst thing you could say about him is that he's competent, um, you know. And and you could certainly give him more compliments uh, or higher praise than that. 
and he has seemingly Dolan again has not butted into anything in a while. So it's like, oh, well, now everything should be fine. But as you're pointing out, we live in an age now where, yeah, superstars are on, like, they're, after they go, get home from their game and they're, like, ready to get into bed, I'm assuming, or maybe when they get home from the club. I, I don't pretend to know how Kevin Durant lives. Um, he, you know, he hops on his phone for 15 or 20 or 25 minutes and, like, looks at what people are saying about the Knicks or looks at like the type of content that's being put out there or the way that teams are being portrayed uh, potentially. And that's that's easy money. That's like you said. It's so easy to, to win those points. So, yeah, I mean, that's why it's like, you know, you know, we could sit here and, and talk about, you know, <laughs> who's going to start a shooting guard and whether or not they're going to have enough you know, spacing in their lineups and whether or not they're going to give Frank Nilakina a chance to develop. And, like, all that shit is important. But at the end of the day, that's why... And people hate when I when I always go back to it, but I can't help myself because what's going to determine whether or not this organization ultimately turns it around, I truly believe in my heart, is whether they just figure out how to get out of their own way where all that other stuff um, is concerned. So... Yep. No, I, I I think uh, I think that's right, but um, but yeah, I and I think like I said, because we're sort of in some ways on the front lines of that, in the sense of you know a fan, you know we're a fan blog, right? And there's other ones out there, and for the Knicks, there's a lot of them, considering how bad the team has been. And you think to yourself, you have all of these blogs that really, based on results, should really probably all be killing the team and and most of them are friendly uh you know to the team and are sort of the counterweight to some of the harshest criticism and i i guess now that i'm on the i'm more a cheerleader of all the blogs now that i'm on the on the outside officially i just feel like they you know the team should real realize that and maybe even do more can um to, to leverage that can i say one thing on that note though um i get as I'm sure, or we've talked about this before, I'm on a couple different listservs where I get, um, you know, emails which contain links to different articles about different all of the different NBA teams. And I started paying attention to them this summer because it's amazing how for literally, literally every other NBA team, the local coverage is at worst 70% positive uh, and 30% negative. And for some of the teams out there, like, you can't find um, a negative story written about the team. And yes, the Knicks do have the benefit of having a very positive response from, like you said, fan blogs. But you know, and I think that's why, and it's like that, the, you know, <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg? That's why fans get so mad at the media coverage of the Knicks because they don't have that. If anything, it's, you know, it's like 30, 70, 30 negative. And then it's like, well, you know, on one hand, you have people saying, like, that's the reason why the team is so bad. And on the other hand, you have people saying, well, no, they 
the team is bad, so thus they have to cover the team. It's like, you know. But it's um it is unique. It is unique because other we are the only NBA team that has that situation. Yeah, no, I think it's unique, and I think like I, it is. And that, how much does it matter? That's that's the other part of it. How much does yeah, it matter? Yeah, well, I think it, it is that chicken and the egg thing, though. Of you know, I wouldn't at this point want to take the time to do it, but I would be interested if if you went through and you looked at what were the dates over the summer. You went to every team in the NBA. Put down the dates in the summer where major uh, or executives, front office executives, were made available to local media. Oh, my God. I guarantee you, you would have every other team, you would have points that would come up between, you know, before from the draft to media day that would come up, and the Knicks would probably be the last one. I don't, so again, even, I, I don't even think it would be close. That. Right. So, again, you could say, well, the reason they did that is because, you know, they have this unique environment like you're describing where why are they going to give access and, and get, you know, the way it is. But, like, let's face it, like, you're telling me, you know, Chris Eisman at the record or Ian Begley at SNY, you're telling me these guys cover you unfair? You can't you – can't, pick up the phone and, and do something with them or, you know, you can't sit down with them for 20 minutes. Like there are extreme examples where there's been a bad headline that a lot of times, remember the headline isn't even made by the particular writer who covers the team. Um, but there's also a lot of examples of guys who, you know, Mike Borkinoff, I think is another one like who, who cover the team pretty straight up. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. You're not going to, Steve Mills is not going to sit down and have dinner with Frank Isola and, and spill his guts about all the all of his trade secrets. I get that. But, like, you know, there's an in-between there. And I think, you know, again, we're talking about kind of the middle. I just think all these things, I just think it is important because, you know, like I said, even taking a step back and looking at Media Day, I think the reason why it's a topic right now is because Media Day, it's called Media Day. So yeah. it's about – the media getting that's the most recent event we just had with the team. And it's about the media getting access to the team. So I think that's kind of the relative uh, topic here. And I just think that that's that discussion that I keep seeing kind of going back and forth on, on Twitter. It's just considering both of those sides, I think it's something that we all could do a little better with. And I think it would create a less, like I said, kind of negative, confrontational environment that sometimes I worry we get into. For sure. And we can all do better with it. And, and that's something that I think this year, you know, and, and you know what? Uh, and that's, that's, that's why they need to just start playing games and hopefully looking competent because the conversation changes to basketball and it becomes easier to actually talk to, someone who may be having a different viewpoint um, about the organization than you do. But just to what you just said, you, you really you, you hit the nail on the head because that lack of media access, I'll call it, and maybe that's not the, the perfect term, but that's what I'll use right now. National media people will say, there, see, you want to know why your team has sucked for the last 20 years? Because you have an owner that unlike every other owner in the league 
is runs this thing like um, um, I'm trying to think of the word like deep state or whatever, where it's you know it's like you're 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 harboring secrets or something, and that that will inform their coverage of the team. Whereas on the other side of the coin, you have people reading that coverage and knowing that part of what went into that coverage is the the, the media stuff. And, and they will then think that why should how this organization handles what they do and don't do with the media have one iota of effect on the basketball and parsing out how much of an effect it does and does not have that is the $64,000 question and it's the thing that is is probably in my mind at least conti- will continue to hang over the franchise for as long as um you know they kind of operate the way they do um and I don't think yep. there are any right or wrong answers I mean it, it, you know uh, the truth is in the middle um but <laughs> right but say we we didn't want to talk about Frank Milikina's option and whether they should pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, we've been talking for uh, for almost an hour. Is there is there any actual basketball you wanted to touch on in this in this uh, what is ostensibly a basketball podcast? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think like I said, it, this is where you know it, it's just a tough part of of the season. So obviously, you're going to get more into this. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of fascinated to see how this roster works. Me too. I'm not, Me too. I'm not one that, um, you know, I do think this is where I do take the organization at face value of what they're saying in terms of, you know, this whole joking about, okay, they signed four power forwards and blah, blah, blah. It's like, That's so stupid. You know, I'm, if I hear that one more it, time, it, it, it's just the dumbest right. thing. And, and it's, it's, it's just that I, I do – I get why it's an easy point, but I also think that there's more flexibility in the Like if this was a team that you were building in 1995, there would be four power forwards, meaning the way you used to define a power forward where you didn't even have to really know basketball. It yeah. used, like remember in old days, like it used to be like that. I remember that ice hockey game where you would have like a, uh, I think it's like Nintendo. We'd have like a skinny guy, a medium size, yeah. and a big guy. Yeah, I do. And oh my god! It, it's like that. Where like you didn't even have to know basketball. You could just look at the players on the bench, and anyone could say, "This is the point guard. This is the shooting guard. This is the power forward. This is the center." You it fit that strict. Well, nowadays we all know it doesn't work that way, and we know even with these players in particular, they aren't built that way. I mean, some are, you know, less personal, you know, than others, but the point is you can do a lot of different things, I think, uh, with them in that front court. Um, I think the bigger question to me is how you work out the, the playing time in terms of wanting to develop, you know, if you're playing not, if you want to play Knox some minutes, for instance, at the four, or if you want to, you know, how you want to sit in Barrett and Knox together, things like that while, you know, juggling your young guards, I think things like that make it maybe a little difficult if you also are trying to get all these forwards, you sign them under the idea that, you know, they're going to play a certain amount of minutes. 
and then if they don't, you know, you create a situation where they're not happy and then you're kind of going against this concept that you want, you know, the veteran players you sign to be good influences on the young guys. That part I would worry about a little bit. But in terms of, you know, are they going to be able to put together, um, you know, lineups that work? Uh, you know, I think they, they do have a lot of options there. Yeah, no, I, you know, and, and not to go back to, our previous conversation, but just as you were talking about that, like that right there is the reason why people, why, why Knicks fans uh, get annoyed at, at, at media um, as they should, because the same media person, and there have been, you know, I don't know how many dozens of them out there this summer who makes the joke about the four power forwards. That person will the next day write an article about some other team that they respect how they go about their business and say something about the, um, you know, the positional versatility of uh, the players on their roster. And, you know, because it's the Knicks, it's like the joke comes with it. And that's where the, you know, the disingenuousness and the, and the distrust from the fan base comes in. Um, we putting that aside. I, I completely agree with you. And I think the, Aside from the the big overall questions about the organization, which I mentioned before, I think the big question about the season is where where is the line? Because we, I I I, I still don't know. Like, there's so much that we've kind of agreed upon or agreed to agree upon when 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 analyzing basketball and talking about basketball, but the idea of like. Where is the proper amount whereby you play worse players and give them time and let them suck just to, like, give them the experience? Like, what basically Kevin Knox that season. Like, where is the proper balance between that and making them sit and learn and, like, you know, do what an organization like the Spurs does, for instance, whereby... Or, sorry, not to cut you off. But yeah, no. Isn't, yeah. It, isn't it the to me? It's it's a fascinating overall question for the league that presents the same question from different sides based on the uh, maturity of the players. So, meaning, well, on the one end, you have star players, mature players, who are now learning, you know, the body science things of playing less. Right, like how many games is Kawhi going to play versus rest during the regular season? Same thing. This load management—that's become a word that now, or a phrase that everyone, you know, is familiar with because we know these players aren't going to play, you know, eighty of the eighty-two games anymore. But then on the other end, the exact question you just raised for the less mature players—it's, you know, do we? And because of the way the league is now where it's about you, you're either trying to get these star players who you're filling your cap space with or these young players that don't cost as much but have a lot of high potential and, and you want to either kind of tank or go for it and don't be in between. So therefore your roster has a lot of these really young guys and there you're saying, like you said, oh, well, they need the time. So, you know, are, like you said, are we treating it like Kevin Knox where you're playing them maybe even more than they're ready to play to kind of get them developed versus sitting them kind of the opposite of load management. So I just think it's, 
it's just an interesting question, and, and you can argue that that, as much as you know, we were talking before how you build a culture and perception of the team, but I think in many ways the answer to that question, like how teams are able to get an advantage in figuring out the proper balance in playing in playing time, whether it's um, preserving the players who are already developed versus developing the players who need to be developed, that kind of magic potion and balance, I think, will be a lot of ways what kind of separates the successful teams kind of going forward. And maybe that will be more of like the big change that we see than it is necessarily like a different style, because it just seems like that's kind of the question on, on, on a lot of these teams' minds right now. Well, you know what would be really smart? As I'm hearing you talk about this, the Knicks, by all indications, have, you know, a roster full, unlike some other teams, have a roster full of players who think they should play, um, slash, the organization has some incentive to, you know, get in there and, and get time. Wouldn't it be great if, as a team, as an organization, as a franchise, they, like, because wouldn't this be the perfect season to do this, right? Where no one's under any illusions that they're competing for a championship. It's like every every game of the season, they're, maybe not every game, but like most games of the season, someone or another, and I'm sure there are listeners out there who will absolutely despise this idea, and I'm totally okay with that. Like, someone or another, like, has a planned off day to the point that basically everyone on your roster gets to play, like, you know, 66 games, let's just say, right? Now, could that actually happen in terms of, would, like, Julius Randle, for instance, who I'm sure is going to be thinking, I want to make an all-star team, um, would he be okay with that? Eh, you know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, but maybe in that case, you postpone some of his off days to to later in the year. Like, why, why doesn't some team who is in exactly the position that the Knicks are in right now, where they're towing that line between, yeah, we want to win some games, yeah, we want to like improve things on the court, but at the same time, you know, we want to continue to develop and stuff like. Wouldn't that be the easiest? Wouldn't that not only be smart in terms of a way to preserve players' bodies, but also be a great way to solve this problem of we have, you know, whatever twelve or thirteen guys that feel like they that we need want to play every night? Like, is that that crazy? Yeah, no. <laughs> and I think nowadays it's not that crazy. I think it's like you said, though. It's managing that with, and I think this is the big worry about this collection of players. Um, the Knicks have now as well, you know, they got, we were all excited that they signed players with team options instead of player options, because that gives them a, you know, a little more um, flexibility in terms of, you know, you could invest in a player that's more than just a one year rental, or maybe they have more value if, if you trade them. But that said, you know, it's just hard if, if you're on a championship team and the player feels like, okay, yeah, I'm not playing every night, but, it's going towards I might be on a on a championship team and that so therefore that's going to help me. Yeah, I think that's different than I'm on a 25 win team and I'm not playing every night. This doesn't 
help me at all. Well, you know? we, so I think that would be the the tricky part of it. We have to hope that that factored into the decision of which guys they brought in. And one one would see. I think that that certain guys that they brought in or or they brought in because they knew that they would be comfortable with uh, maybe not playing every game. I just don't think that applies to all of the guys. Like Julius Randle and Marcus Morris, those guys, not only are they planning on playing every game, they're planning on being out there for, you know, 30 minutes a night. So, you know. We'll, right, uh, right. But you're right. Certain players you would think when they were talking about, you know, these were the guys we targeted, you would think part of that is because, you know, they had these conversations and and and, and et cetera. But, um, but no, I mean, like I said, I don't think it's that crazy that a team could, you know, have more scheduled off days, sort of like you see in like baseball where you kind of know, for instance, like a catcher is not going to play a, a day game after a night game or something. Yeah. And there's just certain, you know, we're seeing it already, right, on back-to-backs. Um, there's certain players you can expect to, to be out. But I, I just think, yeah, how they manage that can also, I guess what you're leading to, too, it sort of answers those lineup questions of how do you fit, you know, everyone Yeah, in which, and, by the way, there is no answer for. <laughs> right, right. But it's like, I think it's Jeff Van Gundy that always says this, where he says, you know, when a role player accepts his role and then wants to thrive at that role, that's when you get, you know, that's where you get success. And it's the key, like, first accepting the role and then saying, I'm going to be the best at that role. And I think that's the challenge for Fisdale this year of defining those roles where it's not so fluid that you have players like, okay, tonight, you know, it sounds nice to say like, oh, you know, it might just work out that, you know, tonight it's, you know, tonight you have, I guess you're always, I, I pause because I'm like, I'm hoping the young players, they're, they're always playing, but like, you know, whatever. Tonight, RJ Barrett is playing, you know, more minutes than he is another night. And then, you know, maybe it's Wayne Ellington coming in and he has a great night. It sounds great that those guys could have spot nights off the bench. But really, you want them to know their role so they can accept it and thrive in it, and that's sort of how you build, you know, a, a team. But the last thing, I guess, as we ramble on past one hour, I did want to ask you before we ended. Yes, please. What do you like? It, I'm not going to ask how many wins do you think the the team will have because that's just <laughs> an easy question. It's more if the team has the just the magical question with the Knicks the last couple of years. Do you worry that? if the team wins 35 games and kind of gets in that nowhere middle ground, do you worry like that is sort of a, a consequent, like it's one thing if it's the young players that are contributing and they're progressing and then you win 35 games and you feel good about it. But we all know it's never going to be like that linear. Like it probably would be a combination of some of the young players progress, some don't. And then it might be these veteran players do help them win more games, but it gets them out of a good draft pick, doesn't have them make the playoffs, and they in that middle ground. Are you one that worries about that aspect with the group that they sign, or you know how do, how do you look at it from that perspective? Um, I think a couple things. One, there was. 
there was no way in which going into the season um, and like going into the season and there was no way that finishing with one of the like I, I'll preface this by saying is it is it possible that they finish with one of the worst couple records in the league? Yes. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. But there was no way that that approach, basically the approach that they had last year, where that was like, okay, this is probably going to happen, would have been healthy for this particular organization at this particular time. So with that caveat, because last season at least, it's like, all right, we could guarantee ourselves a top five pick and we could guarantee ourselves a, a what was it, a 60-something percent chance at a player that was going to be really, really good because that was the whole year was always really a, a three-player draft. And going, like, moving forward, like, just talking about this season, it's a weak draft coming up. There's no, it's not like there's one or two or three transcendent superstars. You know, last year you mentioned 35 wins, right? The Pelicans won 33 games last year. The Grizzlies won 33 games. They got the first two picks in the draft. So I think the 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 flattening of the lottery odds kind of answered in part answered the question that you just asked for me um and in terms of the second part of it is like i guess you were kind of insinuating like what if those 35 wins came on the backs of like only the veteran players is that basically what you're saying i i just i can't fathom that would be they'd be able to win 35 games without significant contributions from at least a couple of the guys that are the quote-unquote like core well like randall players he's the randall even even aside from randall even like randall's if they win 35 games randall is is an all-star i i I don't like that's gonna happen i'm talking about even aside from randall i'm talking about a couple of the other like if they win 35 games then either mitchell robinson has taken a step forward to become a defensive player of the year candidate or um you know rj barrett has shown himself to be like or the real deal, or like like a couple of those guys have hit in a big way. Not even if it's not every guy, it's a couple of guys. And like, if that happens, I'm good. Like all of these young guys are not going to hit. So, you know, as long as a few of them do, um, I do think though, I think RJ needs to be one of them. That's the only, that's, I guess that's the last thing I'll say. I think RJ needs to be one of the, like, I don't see a scenario where this team can begin to crawl out of the depths of where they've been, where R.J. Barrett is not, like, a significant piece of that going forward. That's kind of... I, I, yeah, no, I, I think in the thing that you just desperately need it, right? Because I think, like, we already know, and again, not touching... I, I don't want to touch just on the media again aspect of this, but to say, with Kristaps Porzingis, the fact is, once the Knicks didn't use even though we all know they gain draft picks, they still maintain cap flexibility. There's a lot of things that have to happen. And then you got to see what Porzingis does. There's a lot of things that you got to see before you say how that trade went. And then there's a lot of factors that led to the trade that you might've had to do it no matter, you know, what the point is still because they didn't 
immediately use that cap space. A theme that is going to be annoying to Knicks fans this year is every single night that he does anything, it's going to be rubbed in, in their faces. And I, I just think R.J. Barrett, like, just wouldn't it be really nice if he just had one of those rookie years that just exceeded, I don't know if I want to say exceeded expectations because he's such a high pick, like, but still just, it wasn't like a Kevin Knox rookie year. Like, it wasn't where we just have to say, oh, he's still young, give him time. Yeah. It was like a Donovan Mitchell rookie year. And then that way, I'm just saying, like, for poor, for us poor fans, can the basketball god just just give us that. I'm not even worried about he, the win total right now. He needs to that. he needs to look the part. And looking the part doesn't mean necessarily shooting it efficiently because God knows, like again, Don Donovan Mitchell did not have an efficient rookie season in terms of in terms of shooting. There were a lot of plays that he didn't make that were on the floor. Um but you just you watch that guy his rookie year and you're like, Oh, okay, he's gonna be really good like RJ needs to come out and again not calling for him to be the savior of the franchise I've already said I don't think he has the game to ever be like the best player on a on a contending team but he needs to come out and just look the part and it's like you know if you've been watching the NBA for long enough it's like you know it when you see it he needs to come out and like have it you know we, we 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 know it and on that note, um, man, this was this isn't like a send off. I mean, you'll come on the pod throughout the year. I hope. Yeah, no, I think you know the key is for people that there's probably so if we started. I don't even know what we have reviews. That shows you like how I was. I never even looked at numbers, so I can't even tell you the guess. But so if a hundred people started listening, the three people who are left an hour and eighteen minutes left. Um, <laughs> So the three of you that are still listening right now, yeah, I mean, the thought is I'm I'm obviously not going to be doing the day-to-day stuff anymore, but my hope is once in a while I can, I will, uh, I will drop in and, and we'll have hour and 18 minute conversations and maybe next time we'll keep four of the hundred instead of three of the hundred. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Um, that's the goal. We'll, 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 maybe we'll even shoot for a 5% retention rate throughout the, uh, in, <laughs> entirely is this where we are supposed to put in the ad spots? Or no? I'm just kidding. All right. Oh <laughs> uh, God. All right. Um, this was fun. Thank you for for doing this um, as kind of a, a send off of sorts. And uh, yeah, like like you said, we'll we'll uh, we'll see you pop up here and there with some. Uh, we'll, We'll we'll leave some mystery to it, but suffice it to say that there are some things that we've already talked about that will, you know, will give you an opportunity to still um, definitely be a, a presence, um, even though um, you know you're uh, you're stepping down. All right, JB, um, enjoy the rest of your time in. Where are you? DC? Is that? Did I hear that right? Uh, well, right now outside of Baltimore. Baltimore, that's right. But yeah, traveling plenty for work so they're keeping me busy now that uh, i'm i guess completely focused <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go they, they knew um all right uh so everybody else um for the four of you who are still here three of you whatever uh thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks film school podcast it is a, a, a pleasure and an honor as always to do these and um you know 
be a part of this conversation, which, as we talked about tonight, hopefully we can continue to improve. And on that note, everybody have a good uh, weekend, and we will be back for another episode very soon. Yeah.